Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. And the big move to repeal and replace Obamacare is dead. With two more Republican senators coming out yesterday, Mitch McConnell. Maybe you got to better go back to uh, <clears throat> holding some public hearings and uh, fixing Obamacare and not repealing it. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Big news today. Big surprise in Washington, D.C. as it all fell apart yesterday. It's Tuesday, July 18. So good to see you today. Thank you so much for being part of the program. The Bill Press Show, that is, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Here we are with all the news of the day, the insides and the outsides, telling you all about it. And, uh, of course, that's not all that happened yesterday. Uh, Down at the White House, they're trying to uh, change the topic so that we don't talk about health care. So that we don't talk about Donald Trump Jr.'s uh, meeting with the Russians in order to get dirt on Hillary, they want us to talk about Made in America. That is, as long as we don't ask any questions about where Donald Trump's products are made or where Ivanka Trump's products are made. So lots to talk about, lots you're going to want to comment on. Don't forget we want you to, we want to hear from you. Join in the conversation on Twitter. Send us your comments at BP Show, at BP Show. And we'll get right to it on this Tuesday, July 18. But first. This is right. the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, let me ask you a question. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Should Donald Trump be impeached? Well, <laughs> damn right. You say yes. I say yes. Jamie? Yeah. It's a yes. So three of us say yes. Well, 41% yeah. of Americans want Donald Trump to be impeached. That is a new poll from a Monmouth put out this poll. 41% of Americans think that President Trump should be impeached. 53% disagree. That is, again, the latest from the Monmouth University poll. His job approval, rate, uh, approval rating is at 39%. Uh, a little bit of perspective in that, poll. in that poll. A little bit of perspective from Axios. During the start of Watergate, Nixon had a 24 percent 
uh, had 24% of Americans in favor of impeachment, which is... Uh, yeah, so... He had, how, better, he had better odds than Trump did. He beat Nixon. How familiar were Americans with impeachment at that time? You know what I mean? That is a good point. Because if I mean, you think of Nixon in the lens that we look at Trump, right? No, more I mean, people we, are enthusiastic about it. We were thinking, talking about impeaching Trump like the night that he was elected. <laughs> so I'm not sure that people had that thought with Nixon the way that they did with Trump. But, uh, I mean, that's a big number. That's almost half of Americans. Oh, America. definitely. Still, yeah. That's almost half of Americans want Donald Trump impeached. Mm-hmm. Right. No, it's huge. And, um, and no, it's true that that we think more about impeaching a president than we did you know, with Nixon because it had sure. for a long time. But even I remember uh, Congressman Bob Barr, then congressman from Georgia, he put in <laughs> articles of impeachment against Bill Clinton yeah. like the day Clinton was sworn in That's before right. he'd ever done anything. That's yeah. right. Uh, pardon me for a very predictable pun, but could the juice be loose? That is what everybody mm. will be asking tomorrow morning. O.J. Simpson will have a chance at being paroled in Nevada. Now, he has served more than eight years for his kidnapping charges. It has nothing to do with the, with the, the murder, murder of, of his, two people. Of his right. ex-wife and, and, uh, and, and Mr. Goldman. So will he get paroled? People say he had a pretty good chance of seeing parole tomorrow. Yeah. O.J. Simpson could be loose tomorrow. And then I think they should release him so then he can go out and find the real killer. That's right. He still said he was going to find the real killers. Yeah, that's his pledge. I mean, look, O.J. Simpson is serving this much time for kidnapping, retroactively trying to make up for the murder charges. So, Do you think Trump will tweet about it? That would be the perfect... This is his kind of story. Are you kidding? Trump will invite him to the White House. Yeah. (laughs) He's going to pardon him. Oh, yeah. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say, folks? It is Tuesday, July 18. Uh, yes, indeed. The Bill Press Show. How about it? Boy, we got lots to talk about today. Yes, indeed. Uh, the big move. Uh, everybody promised it was going to happen. The big move to repeal and replace Obamacare is dead in the water. Mitch McConnell unable to round up even 50 Republican votes when they control the Senate uh, with 52 votes. Uh, What a pathetic performance, proving that Mitch McConnell is nowhere near the crafty legislator leader that everybody gave him credit for being. we got so much to talk about today. It's so good to see you. We are part of the Young Turks Network nationwide and coming to you nationwide on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Follow us on YouTube. Follow us on Free Speech TV, part of the direct, part of direct TV, or follow us out, uh, out in the Chicago area. It's easy. On WCPT, we are everywhere there in the Chicago area. Uh, and don't forget to um, f- check out our podcast as well. The podcast is always there. It's always up for you at um, billpressshow.com, or you can find it on iTunes or whatever. And, um, Peter, we have new stuff on Patreon. We're going to have some new stuff on Patreon going up today. We sat down with uh, Eric Altieri. He's the executive director for NORML, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. 
we sat down with him to talk about Jeff Sessions and the, sort of the attack on marijuana that he is going to pick back up again. The good news and the bad news. The good news is how many he told us about how many states have already legalized recreational marijuana and how many more are in the pipeline. Yeah. And can we also just point out that yesterday, for the first time, I didn't smoke any pot, but you smoked pot with Eric. So we're going to put the video you up. You can't talk about pot without, you know, uh, enjoying. I'm on your side with this. Usually, I mean, I it's rare that I turn down a chance to smoke a joint. Uh, Same here. I didn't either. Yeah, we didn't smoke, but you and Eric got high and talked about I it. I did it just to, to be courteous to our guests. Uh, yeah, I know how ah. much it pained you to do it. I know you're just yeah. being nice. You right. didn't inhale? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's going to go up later on today. So check it out. Patreon.com slash BP show where we're also putting up your parting shot every day. We've got some other cool stuff coming. All right, you got it. Uh, yes, indeed. Let's jump right into it. Uh, I want to jump into it uh, here. Uh, something Peter said uh, with, with uh, just a quick, quick stop uh, at the latest polls because, you know, the one that upset Donald Trump was the Washington Post-ABC poll we talked about yesterday showing his approval rating now at 36% in that particular poll. Overall, it is 40%. Donald Trump saying... Uh, and tweeting out, you know, 40 percent is not bad for this time in a presidency <laughs> when, in fact, uh, it is the lowest of uh, any president uh, in 30, I mean, in 70, 70 years. Uh, not only 36, only 36 percent approve of the job that he's doing, 58 percent disapprove. But uh, in that same Washington Post ABC poll, Seventy percent, seventy said Donald Trump is unpresidential. <laughs> His actions, the way he behaves, the way he insults people, unpresidential. Sixty-three uh, percent said that the meeting with Donald Trump Jr. at Trump Tower and the uh, and a couple of Russian uh, intermediaries was inappropriate. Sixty-three percent said that meeting should not have taken place. Uh, and as Peter mentioned earlier, 41% in the latest Monmouth poll say that Donald Trump, 41% say he should be impeached, whereas at this time in his presidency, only 24% said Richard Nixon should be impeached. When you are considered more impeachable than Richard Nixon, uh, <clears throat> the American people don't really like you or like the job you're doing. That is wild. I yeah. mean, I'm blown away by that. Yeah. And why are these stupid ass Republicans in Congress. So, you know, like a little puppy, happy to just cuddle up to Donald Trump and, and support him when when 41% of the American people say that he ought to be impeached. They are, they have hitched their wagon to a falling star. That's for sure. But of course, the big news is, and let's get right to it. Yes, indeed. Well, first of all, let's go back just a, just a little bit here and, and hear all the expressions of absolute confidence. Just on June 28, right, a couple of weeks ago, Donald Trump saying, man, on health care, you're in for a big surprise, baby. Health care is working along very well. We could have a big surprise with a great health care package. So now they're happy. What do you mean by big surprise? I think you could have a great, great surprise. Big surprise. Big surprise coming up. Yes, indeed. Paul Ryan. The very next day on June 29 saying, yep, we're going to do it. You watch. I do think that they're going to persevere through this because we have a promise to keep. And the promise we made is we would repeal and replace this health care law. 
Yeah, and we're going to do it at Mike Pence just last Saturday. President Trump and I are confident when the time comes as early as next week that Republicans and Senate are going to come together and they're going to move this bill forward. And yesterday, Sean Spicer at the briefing off camera briefing, echoing the same sentiment. As soon as Senator McCain can travel back and Senator McConnell uh, feels it's appropriate, he'll schedule that vote. We feel very confident about where we are now, and we look forward to uh, getting that bill on the president's desk and getting it signed. Guess what? All of that, yeah, it was just hot air. It all fell apart yesterday. Uh, Remember the math. The math is very, very easy, right? Uh, They need 51 votes or, at worst, 50 when Mike Pence could break a tie. They have not reached out to any Democrats. No Democrat they knew uh, was going to vote to repeal Obamacare. They didn't care. Mitch McConnell said, we'll do it with just Republicans. We'll we'll hold no public hearings because we don't want to give Democrats a chance. We don't want any Democratic votes. He said, we'll get those 51 votes or 50 votes among our Republican members. Well, then Susan Collins. So remember, they took the House bill and they made it worse. Then they took their own bill and they made it worse yet. And uh, they needed those, uh, that again, 51 votes. So um, Susan Collins and Rand Paul both said they couldn't vote for this turkey for different reasons. So that gets down to 50. They could not lose one more vote. And nobody wanted to be that third vote who would really kill it because that, that you know they didn't want to take the heat. So two senators... Uh, very smartly decided we're gonna we're gonna go back to like uh, I remember in summer camp when you went swimming you had to have a buddy it was a buddy plan right and that's what two senators did yesterday they said we will uh, get together and we will announce at the same time that we are no votes Mike Lee from Utah Jerry Moran from uh, from Kansas and that means four people four votes now. From 52, you're down to 48. They are dead. It is not going to happen, and everybody accepts that. And you watch what's going to happen today. There are all those people who were wavering. Now that their vote, they're not going to be that third rail vote, that third vote. Uh, you can bet that there are going to be others. Watch watch for uh, Rob Portman, Lisa Murkowski, Dean Heller. Uh, it could be as many as eight to ten Republicans who who end up saying that they would never have voted for this bill. By the way, our friend uh, Ryan Grimm from the Young Turks and also from The Intercept, he, yeah, he put yeah. it this way on the fact that they both came out at the, at same, the same time, time. with yeah. the buddy system. Uh, he writes, they announced at the same time so that neither could be called the one who killed the bill. Kind of like how firing squads used to put blanks in some of the rifles so none of the executioners knew for sure if they had just shot someone. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't say Moran killed the bill. You can't say Mike Lee killed the bill. But somebody killed the bill. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, and, but but it, it, I tell you, it is stunning. Stunning. Because remember what we were talking about yesterday. Yesterday was they were just delaying until John McCain got back so he could potentially, he had not committed to, but you know what? He's become such a weakling when it comes to Donald Trump. Yeah, as Don, as the president said yesterday, he's a crusty voice, but he ends up giving Donald Trump whatever he wants. So yesterday the whole scenario was, again, full of this confidence They've got the votes. It's only a matter of time. 
So we're going to stay, we're, we're going to delay any vote until John McCain gets back. And then we're going to stay here for the first two weeks of August to make sure we can get it all done. Today, boom, that whole thing is done. Dead, dead, dead. It's not going to happen. And in fact, Donald Trump now is saying, well, and he tweeted this out right away. So now that that bill is dead, what Republicans should do is forget about repeal and replace, just repeal Obamacare and delay the impact of that for a couple of years, which would be a total disaster for Republicans. Imagine, they repeal Obamacare, replace it with nothing. And by the way, this it was about a year ago Republicans sort of floated that out there, and the response was so bad they dropped it like a hot potato. Now Donald Trump, who knows nothing about health care policy. Nothing knows about nothing. Nothing about legislation, nothing about how the Senate works, nothing, 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 right, is, is demanding almost that they just repeal it. So that means Republicans would go out next year and have, repeal it, have nothing to replace the fact that where do you start? 22 million people according to the Congressional Budget Office, lose their health insurance, who have it now for the first time in their lives to protect themselves and their families. Medicaid gutted, 72 million Americans losing that, that bottom line coverage. All they can afford is if they can't afford insurance, at least they can get Medicaid. People would be, uh, uh, premiums going up, no, no, no protection for prescription drugs. I mean, and Republicans would then own it because they're the ones that have repealed Obamacare and, and, and again, offered nothing in its place. That would be the worst possible scenario for Republicans. I can't believe they're going to do it. That's what Donald Trump is suggesting. I don't think Republicans, believe it or not, are that dumb. What they should do, and maybe what they finally will do, and by the way, I heard even, I was on with one conservative, um, Andre Bauer from South Carolina on Sunday on CNN, who, who suggested this as well, that what Republicans ought to do right now is take Chuck Schumer up at his offer to sit down and let's talk about, and by the way, we've had, how many Democrats in here have told us the same thing from members of Congress, senators and members, and members of the House? is sit down with, with Democrats and Republicans, sit down together, take a look at Obamacare. What, what does need to be fixed about Obamacare? What can we do to make it better? How about adding a public plan option? How about adding some controls on prescription drug prices, as former Congresswoman Donna Edwards told us yesterday, her prescription drug, the cost of her drugs for MS since she was just diagnosed, $73,000 a year? Drugs that she she could get in Europe for seven thousand dollars a year, yeah, that's some, certainly part of Obamacare that has to be fixed. What about some of these insurance companies raising premiums uh, way beyond uh, what they promised to do? So there's so many things that could be fixed in Obamacare. That's that's what the focus should be on right now. That's the way to move forward. That's the way to get the American people back behind what they're doing, they could get, I'll bet you, they could get 85 votes if they came up with a bipartisan plan to repair Obamacare or to mend it, mend it, don't end it. Remember, they said that about affirmative action under the Bill Clinton years. 
Um, but so the big news is dead in the water today uh, after uh, Congressman, I mean, Senator Jerry Moran of Kansas and Mike Lee of Utah dropped the bomb yesterday. Uh, on the other hand, on the outside the White House yesterday, the, the uh, White House wanting to talk about anything else. Let's talk about Made in America. Oh, yeah. Can we please talk about oh, this? Oh, yes, indeed. <laughs> Made uh, in the USA. Remember? Remember that? Yeah. There he is. Let's hear that. Made in, Made the, US. in the USA. Remember in the old days, they used to have Made in the USA, Made in America, but Made in the USA. We're going to start doing that again. We're going to put that brand on our product because it means it's the best. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and by the, the, His cadence. Oh, I know. Just the way he talks. At, uh, brand on our product because it the means it's days, the best. Folks, folks, at, at, the funniest thing he said yesterday was, so... The beef guys, they're really happy now because uh, they can't import the ch beef from China. That's right. So they, uh, Omaha beef. Oops. By the way, that's a great product. By sure. Way. Great. Uh, that they uh, that they can now sell, they can sell even more beef. This guy is so happy. Listen to what Donald Trump said. Gentleman who was in charge of uh, Omaha beef, they do beef. He hugged me. He wanted to kiss me so badly. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Omaha steaks, I believe. Omaha, Omaha beef. Steaks, yeah. Omaha beef. It is Omaha Folks. steaks. He wanted to kiss Omaha me. Omaha beef. They do beef. He <laughs> hugged me. He wanted to kiss me so badly. <laughs> Omaha beef. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't. The best beef. Folks. <laughs> I don't think that the guy I, 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 the, the, the guy from Omaha steaks wanted to kiss uh, Donald Trump. And Donald Trump talked about he saw fire engines out there and all kinds of toys I saw fire engines. I saw <laughs> tractors from Caterpillar. I saw some incredible machinery. Make it right here. Mm, make it right I here. I saw some butterflies. <laughs> <laughs> I saw some bees. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, uh, now, so of he's course, six years old. Uh, he's six years old. I know. And you saw he well, he jumped in the fire truck and said, "Where's the fire? I'll put it out fast." Yeah. He's sitting with it. the fire. <laughs> put it out fast. And and he sees a cowboy hat. He puts on the Stetson yesterday and the whole thing. And, of course, the lie behind all of this is that the worst offender of making nothing in America is Donald Trump and his daughter. That everything Ivanka Trump sells in her. Uh, by the way, yes, yes, he's still president. She's the first daughter. They still are hawking products. They still have their stuff online. You can buy it. They're still making money. They turned the White House into the big cash register. But at any rate, Ivanka Trump, 100 percent manufactured overseas. Uh, and Donald Trump, probably 95 percent. I think his water, the water that he sells, comes from the United States. And at one time, he had some fragrance that was made down in the South, but they've dropped that line. Otherwise, the, the, everything's overseas. The pinnacle of achievement when you talk, when Donald Trump talks about himself, are his buildings, right? Trump Tower. Yeah. You look uh, across the board, right? You, he talks about all these buildings. The, Trump Tower is built with Chinese steel. All right. Name a Trump product. Name any Trump product. Yeah. Save, like you mentioned, the the water. It, it wasn't made here. No. no. None of it was made here. No, we mentioned some of these yesterday. Um, Huffington Post broke them down. If you go to the Trump uh, Tower or whatever, you buy a Trump shirt. They're made in China, Bangladesh, Honduras, or Vietnam. Sport coats made in India. Their suits, Indonesia, Mexico, or China. Eyeglasses, uh, China. Uh, they even have uh, furnishings, of course, now made in <laughs> the furniture 
and their uh, appliances made in Turkey, China, India, and Slovenia. Sounds like uh, Melania's had a little uh, influence there. Uh, and uh, Ivanka's entire line of fancy clothing and jewelry and accessories, again, 100% manufactured overseas in China, Hong Kong, Vietnam, and Singapore. Now, get this. This is what the head of the Trump line yesterday said. This is why they do not make their products in the United States. American workers get ready to be insulted. They said, she said, that the stuff that they sell can't be made in the United States anymore. Oh, really? <laughs> Shirts, suits, jewelry. Can't be made in the United States anymore. Not only that, that making them at a large scale is currently not possible. Yeah. So I guess, you know, like America. Make America great again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one at a time. I don't know. It's just, I mean, that is, that is an outrage and an insult to American workers who are the best in the world if you pay them a living wage. The, 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 the truth is Donald Trump and Ivanka Trump are not having their products made in the United States, not because American workers can't make them. That's nonsense. They're, they're, not, they're, they're having those made overseas so they only have to pay slave wages to people. Yes, they don't want that's to true. Yeah, that is true. They don't want to pay a living wage. Oh, one other thing that came up yesterday, um, in when he was out in the, uh, uh, on the South Lawn, uh, Donald Trump, or maybe this was in the East Room at any rate, he was bragging again about how many bills he has signed. We've signed more bills, and I'm talking about through the legislature, than any president ever. For a while, Harry Truman had us. And now I think we have everybody, Mike. I, I better say think, otherwise they'll give me a Pinocchio. And I don't like those. I don't like Pinocchios. Uh, did he say Howie Truman? Sound like he did. Bit, anyway. uh, okay, so you heard it. He has signed more bills than any other president, any other president ever in his first six months in office. Why does he lie like this? For a while, Harry Truman had... It was close. It was Harry. Sorry, I had to check. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But does, Harry. Doesn't Harry. sound like a little bit like Howie. For a while, Harry Truman had yeah. us. Yeah. Harry. 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 Uh, at any rate, all I'm saying is, you know, Donald Trump, there's certain things you can lie about and maybe not get caught. But this is so easy to prove that he's just lying through his teeth. The New York Times has a great piece on this this morning. Okay. So he has signed 42 in his first six months, right? The average for the last dozen presidents or more, well, more than that, is 43. The average is 43. So he signed just one less than the average. Uh, in the first six months, Jimmy Carter signed 70 bills. 42, 70. Bill Clinton signed 50. 42, 50. Now, George W. Bush only signed 20. Uh, Barack Obama, 39. But the average was 43. Again, Jimmy Carter, 70. So it's just simply flat-ass not true. Uh, how about Harry Truman? He said, well, we beat Harry. Harry had us beat for a little bit, but now we beat. No. In his first 100 days, Harry Truman signed 55 bills. In his first 100 days 
FDR signed 76 bills. So basically, Donald Trump is below average in the number of bills that he signed. Now, <laughs> let's look at what he's signed. Again, the New York Times points out that the vast majority of bills that Donald Trump has actually signed were nothing bills. Talk about nothing burgers. Uh, for example, um, he signed, here's one of the bills he signed. Um, the U.S. wants to compete for a World Expo Act. It declares that the Congress, the Secretary of State, should seek to rejoin the Bureau of International Expositions, which puts on world fairs. Major piece of legislation. <laughs> Congress was the secretary to try to get into this international thing. So we could have another world fair somewhere, someday, right? Yeah. Big big news. Big news, right? Sounds like a globalist takeover, if you ask me. The World's Fair doesn't sound like something that makes America great again. I, I would say we're all better off because now we have that bill. Yes, right. Okay, uh, here's another. One established a, uh, another one he signed, established a name for a health care center in Center Township, Pennsylvania. Yeah, man. That's it. Who doesn't need that? Yeah. yeah this is Literally it. everybody else except for Central Township, Pennsylvania. Another named a community-based outpatient clinic in Pago Pago, American Samoa. Again, another globalist outreach. I do like that. Right. I hate it. Uh, another approved the location of a memorial to commemorate members of the military who served in Operation Desert Storm <laughs> or Operation Desert Shield. Well, that's good. Sure. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, okay, there should be such a memorial, but. Sounds like it's really hard to get that through. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think even the most unpopular president of all time, who happens to be president now, can get that done. That this is an amazing time to be alive. That's right, folks. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's right, folks. Uh, these are bills that Donald Trump, you should not mock them. These are bills that Donald Trump really worked hard. Yeah, right. But it's full, the full force of the presidency behind this legislation. This is the equivalent of, like, you know, if you take the SATs, if you get your name right, you automatically yeah. get points for it, you know? <laughs> or, like, if you fill out the the form properly at the top of your test, you automatically get 20 points. So it's like that. These are gimmies. Yeah. He signed another bill that would give government employees the right to be reimbursed for, uh, for official travel using Uber or Lyft. <laughs> God! <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so you could not only... Put in for taxi rides, right, and get reimbursed. You can use Lyft or Uber and get reimbursed as well. Man, this guy, he has accomplished so much in this first six months. <laughs> yeah. It's just it, it, it's, it's just one lie after another. And why, right? Why? Uh, the man uh, does lack a lot of self-confidence. That's why he lies to me, to, because he wants us all to know how great he is. Bernie Sanders making little news by endorsing Ben Jealous, former head of the NAACP for governor of Maryland. That and some other latest political news we get into with Claire Foran from The Atlantic. Coming up next here on The Bill Press Show this Tuesday, July 18. Uh, stay right there. 
Omaha beef. They do beef. He hugged me. He wanted to kiss me so badly. Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Make it a Tuesday, Tuesday, July 18. Hey, hello, everybody. It is The Bill Press Show. Thanks for being with us today. As we boom out to you from our studio on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol building, where a big surprise yesterday, two more Republican senators saying they could not vote for the latest version of the Senate health care bill, which in effect kills all chances uh, this year of repealing and replacing Obamacare. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters. Yep, we all uh, love and respect our good men and women of the firefighting departments around the country on the front lines every day, protecting American families under the leadership of uh, President Harold Schaatberger. We salute them, thank them for the support of the program, direct you to their website to find out more about the important issues that they're working on at IAFF.org. Just when you think you know what the uh, day's news is going to be, the way things are happening lately, up uh, you better wait another half an hour because it's all going to change. Claire Foran joins us, associate editor from The Atlantic, None of us saw this coming yesterday, did we? Well, yeah, I mean, it did happen. I mean, I'm sure they clearly timed it to try to bury the news. I mean, you know, obviously you can't bury that news, but, you know, they must have sat down and said, well, let's do this late at night because maybe, I don't know, maybe it'll be better. I, I, I don't and know. And they also said, let's do this together. <laughs> yeah. that was neither one of us wants to be the third vote. Yeah, that was clearly a strategic move. Nobody wants to be that one that McConnell can point sort of the full blame at. And I guess, yeah, I'm curious, you know, there was some reaction last night, too, to the fact that it was, you know, Mike Lee is a very conservative senator. And so this idea that kind of conservatives killed the bill. But, you know, I wonder, I mean, Lee and I think Moran are not up for re-election for quite some time. And I wonder if, you know, they coordinated with moderates waiting in the wings to sort of decide, you know, who can... Who sort of is able to take this blame the most? Somebody had to jump on that grenade. Yeah. Somebody yeah, had to. Right. So how many more come out today? Well, that's, Yeah, that's a good question. I or mean, in the next couple of days. Yeah, because I, well, I, I can't really imagine that, you know, Lisa Murkowski or other senators are necessarily eager to write a press release about this, but they'll get asked on the Hill today. And yeah, I mean, I imagine there'd probably be a lot because once the dam breaks, then, you know, it's it's done, it's over. You might as well register that you didn't like it. Right. Some of them might might have, uh, we thought, would hold their nose and vote for it. There's no reason for them to do so now. Yeah. Just to say once the dam breaks. I mean, so a Rob Portman or Lisa Murkowski, a Dean Heller. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Dean Heller. Shelley Moore Capito from Mm -hmm. uh, from West West Virginia. Virginia. Mm -hmm. These are all people who were iffy anyhow. Right. Yeah. All of those uh, senators were in a tough spot. And, um, you know, I mean, I was surprised in some ways that we hadn't heard from Dean Heller already because he had, you know, he made 
this fairly dramatic speech about a previous iteration, specifically expressing opposition to the Medicaid And he's cuts. the most vulnerable yeah. of the Republican senators. Yeah, exactly. But then he had kept quiet. So I'm, I'm sure that he'll he'll say he didn't like so it. So if you had, uh, if you add the ones we talked about, Portman and Markowski and Heller and Capito to the other four, that would be eight yeah. votes against it. And it could, could even be, you know, maybe up to 10. Yeah. I mean, like, like, for example, they were waiting for McCain to come back, but McCain was not a sure vote. Well, I mean, when you- I th- think he would have folded, frankly, yeah. but, but he had not announced. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, there's obviously, there's sort of that group of <laughs> kind of fence sitters, people like the ones you named that are, yeah. you know, in kind of tough re-election or, or sort of in states that would have been hard hit by it. But I mean, this is an extremely unpopular bill. So I can't really imagine that- you know, there were many Republican senators that were excited about this. I feel like they've just been forced into this. I mean, it's really kind of amazing to see it unfold. And and especially in the position that McConnell's in right now, you know, just promising for eight years that you're going to repeal this. And then all of a sudden, I mean, it's just sort of a basic political. All of a sudden you have all the power control, yeah. all, all three branches, not all three branches, but, you know, House, Senate and, and the White House. And you can't get it done. Yeah. Um, so what do they do now? Uh, we know what Donald Trump says. No, yeah. just repeal it. Just repeal it. Yes. I I mean, it's so hard to see how they would be able to get, how Senate Republicans would be able to get the votes for a straight repeal if they couldn't get the votes for repeal and replacement. I mean, there's a reason why they weren't trying straight repeal first. It's seen as a riskier move. I mean, it's yes, yeah, of course, yeah. it, it's true. It's more in line with what they've promised for eight years, but those were, you know, kind of symbolic votes. They knew there was never going to be any consequences as long as Obama was in the White House and could veto the legislation. So, I mean, I yeah, were you guys surprised to see McConnell announce that last night, or did you? I, I mean, I I didn't know. I guess what he would do next, but it's it's you know people and people who are watching this closely just say they just don't think the votes are there. Now, obviously, you can't count this out, but. Well, right. I mean, nothing is ever really dead in Washington, yeah. particularly the bad stuff always has a way of coming back. But uh, what I, uh, the question I don't know the answer to is if they just want to repeal. I mean, they were doing, I forget what the phrase is. They, 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 could, they figured it out so they could do repeal and replace with 51 votes. Mm-hmm. If they just yeah. do repeal, would they need 60? Yeah, that's 51? a good question. I, well, I saw some and people. If they need 60, they'll never get to 60. Yeah, I so I that's I was trying to figure that out this morning. I emailed the budget committee because they've yeah. been um, the budget committee yeah. has been running point because it's been done under the reconciliation process, Reconcil- which is a budget, which is a budget process yeah, to right. lower the thresholds. They don't need as many votes. And um, <laughs> I I emailed them this morning to ask, you know, does this mean you're not doing it? And I I haven't gotten an answer back yet. But I saw, um, I think I saw Margot Sanger Katz, who's a New York Times healthcare reporter, tweeting this morning that. You wouldn't be able to do it under reconciliation. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I I haven't gotten an answer yet. But yeah, I if I mean, and if it's a sixty vote threshold, there's no way. Well, what uh, exactly? So whatever the numbers are, however, uh, to repeal means they re- repeal an existing program mm-hmm. and rep- and and offer the American people and all those people who would lose their health care or 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 not lose the ability to sign up for Medicaid. In a yeah. few years or whatever, and, and saddle the governors with all this stuff. They and re, and put nothing out there to replace it. Nothing. 
Robert Costa has a couple of quotes on this whole health care fight, who's just about as mobbed up as anybody can be yeah. within, yeah. within the Republican, Republican Party. Yeah. So he said, uh, <clears throat> what many Republicans wanted was to check a box without political cost, passionless effort. They saw Democrats salivating at what passage meant for 2018, and they cringed. What you have to understand is that privately, many Republicans preferred blame Democrats ahead of 2018 rather than to shoulder the burden of passing this bill. And what this became at the end was a Medicaid debate that very few Republicans wanted to have. Fighting Obamacare is fine. Fighting Medicare is way too complicated. Yeah. Medicaid. Uh, Yeah. Medicaid. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. In fact, on that line, Jennifer Steinauer Steinauer, uh, in Mm -hmm. the New York Times this morning, that's an excellent piece. And we've talked about this before, is one of the things, one of the realities here that I think people have learned is true of Social Security, true of Medicare, and now true true of Medicaid, and now true of Obamacare. Once these programs are in place and people have signed up and people are seeing the benefits, I wouldn't say enjoying them because we're talking about health care and pain and suffering, but... They've, they're taking advantage of the benefits to help themselves and their family. It's awfully hard to undo them. Oh, it's as extremely people, as hard people to... discovered with all of those other things. Yeah, I mean, you can't... It, it's so hard to take away entitlements. And and so from the start, I, I mean, from the start, Republicans came into, you know, control of government, control of the White House on this promise that was always going to be incredibly politically perilous. And another thing that I think about, or I was thinking about the other day that sort of strikes me as just so remarkable about this current debate is that not only are they trying to take away entitlements, which is, you know, how do you thread the needle on that? But Mitch McConnell decided to basically attempt to enact, and, you know, Republicans in the House, a massive, you know, tax cut for the wealthy, sort of transfer of wealth, right after we had an election where you saw, you know, this really kind of anti-elite populist sentiment on both the left and the right. That was something that the Sanders right, campaign and the right. Trump campaign tapped into. And I think, I mean, senators <laughs> have paid attention to that. And yeah. I, I mean, even I, I forget exactly what he said, but Mike Lee, so the conservative senator who came out against the bill last night, he had put out a statement somewhere along the line in this debate saying something like, you know, I don't know if I want to vote for something that's a tax cut for the rich. And it was kind of interesting because I don't know that you'd have seen that kind of language from a conservative senator pre-2016. But I think to me, I'm a section of, I mean, really the moment they chose to, you know, try to take away an entitlement program, try to do basically a massive transfer of mm-hmm. wealth to the already wealthy. And a point that Susan Collins made uh, just uh, yesterday, I believe, is that McConnell was trying to do all of that, take away this entitlement, um, undo this program that's been around for 50 years, yeah. uh, do this massive transfer of wealth with no public hearing. Here she is. We should not be making fundamental changes in a vital safety net program that's been on the books for 50 years, the Medicaid program, without having a single hearing to evaluate what the consequences are going to be. Uh, Yeah, what happened to regular order, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, now um, some people are talking about, and Jennifer Steinauer concludes her piece today, by saying, if I may quote, now um, it's likely that they have no choice. Republicans will probably have to do what Mr. McConnell predicted earlier this month, offer an olive branch and work with Democrats 
to shore up ailing online healthcare marketplaces. Uh, could this lead to um, a bipartisan effort to mend mm-hmm. Obamacare, not end it? I mean, I guess it could. I, I mean, it's you In know, an if, ideal world, maybe. Huh? Well, if if the repeal vote <laughs> fails completely, <laughs> then you know, I mean, McConnell will have to choose whether either, I guess, to try to move on to other agenda items, um, although I think it, it would be hard for them to do tax reform without having passed this um, or passed something in relation to the Affordable Care Act. So, or he could, you know, say we're going to sit down with Democrats. Um, Democrats have certainly signaled an openness to that. I mean, Chuck Schumer's yeah, statement yeah. last night was was saying that. But it's it's very hard for me to feel like, I mean, so Democrats, the line from Democrats has essentially been, we'll work with you if you'll set aside repeal. But, I mean, the first thing, you know, I mean, McConnell could have said last night that he wanted to go to a bipartisan route. I'm not surprised he didn't. But the fact that he went straight repeal, I mean, I think if anything, that but just speaks to the fact that. if he loses on repeal, that, what option does he have? Yeah, and I mean, maybe he's no maybe he feels like if he forces this vote and it fails, then he can say, "Well, repeal didn't work, so we have to do something else." But it, I think it just—I find it so hard to believe that you'd have Republicans and Democrats able to negotiate in good faith. Just think about what they're asking Republicans to do, though. Yeah, right. They're asking them to vote for repeal with a hazy promise of future replacement, which we just have gone through this whole thing. Years we, down the road. Right. And we've just gone through this whole thing. They don't we, have anything Where they don't have a replacement. Right. Like, they yeah. can't agree on a replacement now, but they're going to later? No. Under no. extreme stressful you know pressure. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't understand that calculation. You know what he wants them to do? He wants them to follow him off the cliff. Right. Which is insane. I mean, they have no replacement. They, this is their opportunity to get a replacement. They've got the presidency, they've got the House, they've got the Senate. If they're going to have a replacement, they're going to get a replacement, and now is the time. And they're saying, well, we don't have it now, but we, we'll have it later. Yeah, yeah, it's not right. going to happen. Trust me. Yeah, I'm from the government. I'm here to help you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, Claire, you've also written uh, that w- w- one other thing that's one other possible um, direction to go in here on health care uh, is not fixing Obamacare, but replace or transitioning maybe from Obamacare to single payer. Well, that has been Bernie. <laughs> yeah, so um Senator Bernie Sanders has been talking about his Medicare for all legislation. Right. He hasn't introduced it yet, but he has been talking for a long time, basically ever since the House bill, you know, seemed to collapse, although of course as we know it re- came back from the dead. Um he's been talking about how he wants to reintroduce this legislation, so Medicare for all is the it's his preferred method of single payer, which would be, you know, government operated, taxpayer funded health care that would provide universal coverage. And so he's kind of just waiting for the right moment to introduce it. Um, I mean, I've, you know, aides to Sanders have told me that, you know, they think that the fight now is obviously to protect the Affordable Care Act. But once there's sort of some kind of resolution on that, he would introduce. I don't know if it drags on if he might change that decision. Um, but it's it's been interesting to see that there has been growing grow, a growing willingness among Democrats in Congress <laughs> to come out in support of single-payer. So an interesting metric of that is that over in the House, there's a single-payer bill by Representative John Conyers, and 
for the first time ever, it now has a majority of House Democrats on it. That's never happened before, ever. Mm-hmm. And it happened in uh, sometime around April. He's had that bill for um, a long time. I remember yeah. he and Dennis Kucinich had that, co-sponsored that yeah, bill, because he's, he's been in our studio talking about it. Introducing it for a long time. Yeah, it's right. never had this much support. And it's interesting to see who's signed on. I mean, so... Notably, it does not have, uh, you know, House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi, um, but it does have people, you know, the people that are on the bill, though, do range um, from people who are more progressive Democrats to people like uh, Representative Adam Schiff, who obviously is, is, you know, taken on kind of a very high profile role with the Russia investigation, but isn't, you know, I mean, I don't think he's really necessarily a progressive in terms of the policy stands that he typically takes. So I do think it's been interesting to see. I think the fact that he's on the bill and and some others really does signal that there's a growing acceptance and an appetite for it. Right. And I think the way it comes is um, as part of Obamacare, which is what one of the things that, well, even President Obama talked about a yeah. public plan option, which would give people the 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 choice yeah. of instead of buying a uh, a plan through the marketplace of signing up for Medicare maybe it does you could do it like Hillary Clinton suggested yeah. go down to fifty five right or mm-hmm. then eventually to fifty and then it, it'll fa- phasing it in or to give states the option which I think exists under Obamacare yeah I of, think that of going that into single yeah. payer yeah I mean it's interesting. Um, I spoke with Jamie Raskin, uh, a Democratic representative from Maryland, and mm-hmm. I felt like he was pretty candid and just sort of said that, you know, at the end of the day, the Affordable Care Act, too. I mean, obviously, Democrats are going to defend the Affordable Care Act, but I think there is a sense that it's been eight years of Republicans just relentlessly attacking it. Yeah. Democrats also admit uh, that there's it's not in a perfect law, and they want to be able to talk about something that's more aspirational, that's more ambitious, and so single-payer is... Uh-huh. We will have a chance in just a few minutes to talk to a a freshman member of Congress, uh, Congressman uh, Tom Swazi from New York, and we'll be able to get his take on uh, uh, what he sees as the future of this health care debate. Uh, Moving on to a couple of other issues, as I mentioned uh, at the top of the hour, you have uh, um, been talking about Ben Jealous, uh, former head of the NAACP, uh, candidate for governor in Maryland. Has he officially filed? I don't know if he's filed, but I mean, he's certainly officially announced. So he announced um, a great big endorsement. Yeah. And so last week uh, in Silver Spring, Senator Sanders endorsed Ben Jealous, who was a surrogate for him during his campaign, Mm -hmm. a supporter. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I went to the event. Nina Turner, the new head of our revolution, was also there. And I got to speak with Ben afterwards. And yeah, I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see how his campaign goes. He's running on $15 minimum wage, debt-free community college and four-year college, and also single-payer, which is, uh, you know, of the people that Senator Sanders has introduced, not all of them have gone as far as to support single-payer. Like, I spoke with Tom Perriello in Virginia in his race, and you know, he talked about how he had supported the public option, but just didn't think Virginia was quite there. Now, Maryland yeah, is a blue yeah. state, but does have a Republican governor. So it'll be interesting to see how his platform does there. Right. Um, that sounds like he's adopted the entire Bernie agenda. I think he certainly adopted the um, kind of the, the key um, 
platform planks that that we're seeing and and again because you know things like fifteen dollar minimum wage I I feel like that's been interesting to see that has really become a lot more mainstream like I think a majority of Senate Democrats now are on that when Sanders was talking about in that campaign it certainly wasn't embraced to that extent but single payer is not quite there like I said it's growing but you know you don't really have congressional leadership on it so I think it's interesting that he he's endorsing it. Uh, what's the field look like in Maryland? Is he? I, I'm sure he will not be the only Democrat running. No, um, it'll probably be a pretty crowded Democratic field, but it's very, very early days right now. So the, the primary in the Democratic race won't even be for about another year. So hmm. lots of time in the field isn't really set. But it looks like there'll be um, a Democratic state senator, um, Richard Madaleno, who is uh, probably going to also kind of vie for that kind of progressive lane in the race. And then uh, PG County Executive Rusher and Baker is also talked about as somebody who could be um, a strong candidate. Well, it's interesting that um, Senator Sanders would endorse this early. Yeah. yeah, it is very early. But, you know, I mean, of all the endorsements he's made uh, since the presidential election, I think Ben Jealous maybe the only one that he had sort of this really, really close personal tie because mm-hmm. he did, you know, help him with his campaign. He was the Maryland co-chair for the Sanders campaign. So I, I wonder if that, you know, played a role too. And particularly significant endorsement for Senator Sanders at the time because he was having such difficulties penetrating the African-American community because yeah. of the advantages that the Clintons had there and also because Sanders representing uh, all-white state of Vermont. Yeah, and that's another reason why the Ben Jealous race could be interesting uh, potentially to see how, you know, somebody who has these deep, you know, long established track record as a civil rights leader and, mm-hmm. and deep ties to um, Baltimore does running on a Bernie style platform. Um, the uh, one other issue um, that you have raised, and it's interesting because the there's a Monmouth poll out today which shows that 41, according to that poll, 41 percent of Americans believe that uh, Donald Trump should be impeached. Um, and uh, this is you know, bubbling a little bit in the House of Representatives. Yeah. Um, Not yeah, that many members, but... It's certainly a, a small uh, effort at this point in terms of the number of people that have signed on. But yes, you have now Democratic Representative Brad Sherman of California has now officially filed an article of impeachment and um, represent Democratic Representative Al Green signed on to that. So only two. Um, so certainly doesn't have buy-in from party leaders and, and doesn't have widespread buy-in, but it is still certainly a development in, in kind of talk and rumblings of kind of Democratic talk of impeachment. And, you know, and I think it just sort of is, is kind of a marker of if Democrats were to win back uh, Congress, because really impeachment is ultimately a political uh, you just need to have the votes um, more than anything in, in the House to be able to do it. But you mentioned, yeah, but even if Democrats were to take back uh, control of Congress and let's say that Nancy Pelosi then became the speaker again, she's, she was asked about this. Uh, I think we had that yesterday, didn't we, Jamie? Uh, and uh, asked about impeachment. I mean, she's clearly not not on board. No, you're right. She's not. So I'm not. Yeah, I'm not suggesting that if Democrats were to win back the House, you'd suddenly see him impeached. But what I do think would happen is that you'd have people like uh, Brad Sherman would reintroduce it and potentially make more Democrats go on record, probably saying they don't want to. But here she is, Leader Pelosi yesterday. I've always been reluctant because I think impeachment is something that really has an impact on the country. 
So um, just saying sl- slow down, I guess. But so far as I know, and, and they, well, uh, Congressman Al Green has been in a couple of times here talking about mm-hmm. it. Uh, and same with, uh, uh, we talked to Brad Sherman, not about this, but he's certainly been. We talked to a couple of members of Congress yeah. who are more on the more progressive side of things, Pramila Jayapal yeah. and, mm-hmm. and others. But yeah, we've, Al Green, I think, is one of the loudest voices on it. Because mm-hmm. he's the one that gave the first, he made a call for impeachment from the House floor. He was the first to do that. So I actually kind of thought when I heard that somebody was introducing an article, I thought it might be him, but he he's signed on to it. Right. Um, and um, the the I think it's the ABC Washington Post poll sh- uh, uh, showed that 63%, I believe it is, um, said that the meeting between Donald Trump Jr. and the uh, Russian emissaries at Trump Tower was inappropriate. Uh, Donald Trump yesterday said anybody would have taken that meeting. It's just politics. Yes, the long line of, I mean, I feel like they've said this about so many things at at this point, or it's just sort of the, I mean, in a way, I guess that's kind of like, is it the logical conclusion of the way he campaigned where it was like, well, I know what it's like to pay for politicians because I've done it, so you should trust me. <laughs> um, I feel like that's sort of shades of the same explanation here, but but yeah. Yeah, it's not exactly draining the swamp, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, um, and we know that uh, I think Robert Mueller will have the last word on whether that was a significant meeting or not and whether any yeah. laws were broken. Well, what interesting days. Keeps people like uh, you and all of us here very, very busy. Thanks, yep. Claire, for coming in. Yeah, thanks you for having me. You can follow Claire at The Atlantic, theatlantic.com. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yeah, remember all those promises made by uh, President Trump and Vice President Pence in the last couple of days? You just watch. We're going to pass health pass care this week, repeal and replace Obamacare. Guess what? It is dead, folks. Dead in the water as of yesterday. Hello, what do you say? On this Tuesday, July 18, uh, welcome. Welcome to the Bill Press Show, coming to you live coast to coast from our studio here on Capitol Hill, where we've got lots to talk about. The health care legislation yesterday, President Trump's promised uh, to uh, bring back Made in America, except when it comes, of course, to his own products or those of his daughter. Uh, And uh, the latest polls showing President Obama with the lowest ratings of any president at this point in his presidency in the last 70 years. Uh, And the president bragging yesterday about how many bills that he signed more than any other president in history. Again, just not the case. 
We'll cover it all for you and look forward to hearing from you uh, on Twitter at BP Show. And very pleased to welcome to the studio today uh, a freshman member of Congress and a freshman member of the Bill Press Show team, uh, Congressman Tom Swazi from uh, Long Island, from what's it, third, Glen, the third district in Glen New York. Cove, Long Island, Bill. Th- so happy Glen to be Cove. here. Where? Now, is that, um, I mean, Long Island's kind of. Are you like I'm in, in Nassau Montauk? County. Nassau. I was out in Montauk this weekend, but it's not part of my district. Oh, okay. I did a triathlon. Right. My daughter swam Whoa. the half mile. My my wife ran, uh, did a bike for 14, and I ran 3.1 miles. Good Damn. for you. Right. Yeah. yeah that, man, you got that family. But uh, I have a little bit of Queens, a little bit of Nassau, a lot of Nassau, and a little bit of Suffolk. So it's all along the north shore of Long Island. Okay. Glen yeah. Cove is where Bobby Kennedy lived when he ran for U.S. Senate in 1968. Is that right? So it's a lucky spot for People you. used to say he had a Glen Cove accent. <laughs> <laughs> so he moved, when he moved into New York, he moved to Glen Cove? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I got a picture of my mother campaigning with Ethel Kennedy. Yeah. She was pregnant, standing right. up on top of a coffee table. <laughs> Looking forward to finding <laughs> out uh, everything that you're up to there in the Congress. We'll get right to it. And again, I want to hear from you at BP Show. But first, yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, I know that you're a uh, big fan of the emojis when you text, right? You use emojis when you text? Once in a while. Okay. All yeah, right. I do. Well, I have some good news. There will be new emojis coming. Apple announced they have a new list of emojis coming out. I'm not sure my phone has room for it. (laughs) They're going to make room for you. Apple put out a press release that said that some of the new emojis we will see, a new woman with a headscarf emoji, a breastfeeding emoji, (laughs) uh, I appreciate this one, a bearded person emoji, because they don't have anybody with a beard. They'll also have some new food items like a sandwich and a coconut. And more animals, like a T-Rex, a zebra, and an elf. There's also an exploding head smiley face that will be coming as well. Uh, all in all, we'll For every have... time Trump tweets? <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. By the way, we did get some Trump tweets we should fit in here in just a little Do while. we need any new legislation to allow these emojis, Congressman? Do you think? Or I think it's as of right. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Well, it is uh, summertime, so if you're going to the beach, you might want to look out, especially if you are in Uh-oh. Cape Lookout, <laughs> North Carolina, a great white shark. Oh. Nearly as long as a car and weighing more than 1,000 pounds was spotted off the North Carolina coast North this Carolina? past week. In North Carolina. That's it. You don't think. A little sound there. You don't, th- you don't yeah. think of uh, North Carolina being a haven no, for great white California, where I come from. Where, sure. Yeah. Montauk. Yeah, Montauk, oh, they got, they got the big right. sharks out there. They've nicknamed this shark Hilton, 12 and a half feet long, 1,326-pound mature male great white shark spotted off the coast of Cape Lookout on Saturday, according to a research uh, group tracker. So uh, It could be the same shark, you know. Traveling the whole way? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. North Carolina, by the way, has averaged about two or three shark attacks per year for the past 14 years, but hasn't had a fatal shark attack since 2011. North Carolina, not known for its shark attacks, but if you've got a great white off the shore, you might want to be careful. A lot of people from New York have been moving down to North Carolina. Really? Well, the sharks are following. Follow the sharks. <laughs> That's right. The sharks are following. Them. your radio, on TV, and online. This is The Bill Press Show. 
What do you say on a Tuesday, July 18? Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. It's the Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live from our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol building, where big news yesterday, Senators uh, Jerry Moran of Kansas and Mike Lee of Utah announcing they would join Susan Collins and Rand Paul in voting against uh, the revised health care, uh, Senate health care bill uh, to repeal and replace Obamacare, uh, and that kills it effectively. Uh, the, they needed a minimum of 50 votes. Now the most that Mitch McConnell's been able to put together is 48, and that number will probably diminish even later today. We're coming to you live again, coast to coast, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on Free Speech TV nationwide, and also out on uh, in the Chicago area on the great WCPT. Uh, and joining us in studio for the next half hour, Congressman Tom Swazi from uh, uh, the great state of New York and Glen Cove, Long Island. You got so, it. Let's that's do it. it. That's the heart of your district, right? Yeah, I used to be the mayor of Glen Cove. Is that whoa? It's a small place, and yeah. I was the county executive of Nassau County for a while. I actually ran for governor of New York State in a Democratic primary against Elliot Spitzer. I got crushed in that race. Did not turn out very well for me. Did not turn out very well for Elliot Spitzer. Didn't turn out well. Elliot Spitzer either. Right, right. He was my colleague on uh, crop. Current. Uh, on current. That's current. Right, yeah. Current. I don't think he lasted that long in that position. Well, no, he didn't last. Well, current TV didn't last that <laughs> yeah. long either, right? So, and you uh, you're, you, have the seat that's uh, occupied by Congressman Steve Israel. Correct. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He's, Who now is out with his second novel, I understand. Oh, is it out already? Uh, well, I oh, saw- He's working on it. I don't know if it's out already. Oh, oh okay. Well, I, I, I saw a notice about it, so I thought oh, it was out. Oh, I should out. know that. Oh. Well, yeah. And he's also at CW Post with a global institute that he brings in guest speakers for really some good speakers so far. He had Colin Powell come and speak and got Bill Clinton coming in the fall. Oh, really? Yes. No. Oh, good guy. So um, stepping up to Congress, what's it like so far? I love it. I'm very, very happy to be here. Uh, I was a mayor for eight years. I was county executive for eight years. And I was in the private sector for seven years after that. And I'm just happy to be back in public service. I mean, it's, it's a... It's a tough job. It's a lot, a lot of, uh, right now, I think there's a lot of chaos, quite frankly, but uh, I really enjoy, I'm on armed services and foreign affairs, uh, and after being a mayor and a county executive, this is a, an area that I've read about in the newspaper all these years and studied about, but, but now, now it's right really right in the middle of it. Right. Are you frustrated by the fact that uh, Congress is, um, you know, I mean, the members that I talk to, uh, they don't feel like they're getting a lot done? You know, so it's because it's all brand new to me, so I don't know anything else, I just see a lot of movement, a lot of action. I don't find everybody being as divisive as it is portrayed on television and in social media. I find people to be very civil and cordial with each other. Uh, I find the big institutional flaw is that there's no time, just really no time, to sit down and talk to your colleagues at length. There's no time that you're just sitting around and you're like mm. finding out what they're about. I, I, I try very hard to build relationships, not only with my Democratic colleagues, where it's easier to do because you have caucuses and things like that, yeah. but we got a dinner last night uh, with some people, about 40, 50 people. Uh, but with my Republican colleagues, I'm going to, I'm working out in the morning uh, with, you know, there's like 10 or 12 of us that work out. It's bipartisan class. Sometimes I go to the non-denominational prayer breakfast, which is all <laughs> the Southern evangelicals. I say, I'm a Catholic yeah. Democrat from New York. They're like, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm just I'm I'm oh I'm on the I'm on a thing called the Problem Solvers Caucus. I'm the vice chair of the Problem Solvers Caucus. Twenty two Democrats and twenty two Republicans 
actually trying to talk to each other to try and find agreement. But that's a kind of that's a kind of cooperation that uh, has been missing in Washington. Yeah, for and uh, did exist at one time, but you don't see that much of it anymore. And in fact, why uh, is healthcare one of the things that the problem problem solving caucus problem solvers caucus has not been dealing with healthcare until just recently? where we're talking about putting out a statement and now we want to put some meat on the bones where we say, listen, the Republicans should talk to the Democrats and bring them into the conversation. Do you think maybe- And the Democrats should be telling everybody what they think, what their ideas are. Would you say that should apply to the United States Senate at this particular moment? It should apply to our country. I mean, you know, one thing that I'm very sobered by in this job and very humbled by is that I went to Afghanistan uh, with armed services, mm-hmm. and I talked to Mattis and Dunford, and you know, talked to the soldiers out in the out in the field, and all of these issues, healthcare included, these are life and death issues for people. This is serious business, and politics has gotten so small and so petty that we forget sometimes that people are really, you know, this is their lives on the line that we're talking about, and we've got to start treating it a little bit more seriously about uh, how important it is in people's lives. But looking at what happened in the Senate yesterday, where it's pretty clear now, McConnell, no way, no how, is, no going, to get, is going to get his 50 Well, now they're talking up. about just re- doing the straight-up repeal. Right. And one of my colleagues said to me this morning, a Democrat in the, in the gym, he said, they're betting on the chaos. If they try and do it, they're going to bet on the chaos, because it'll be chaos. People will freak out. I mean, the pe- there's so much anxiety that people have about this debate. Not, I'm not talking about politics. I'm not talking about yeah. TV. I'm talking about no. people in their real everyday lives. They right. have anxiety about what's going to happen to me. And if you do a straight up repeal, you know, maybe you and maybe me, like, hey, we'll come up with a deal. We'll figure something out, you know, over the next, we'll figure it out. But you know what? People don't believe that. They think the whole thing stinks. It doesn't work. It's broken. And there's going to be a lot of people freaking out with anxiety about their pre-existing conditions, about their costs, about, you know, my children going to be covered. This is this is serious business. So, as you know, uh, with the first thing that uh, came out of the White House yesterday when it was announced that uh, they lost these two more uh, Republican senators was uh, the President Trump saying, all right, forget about replace, just repeal, just repeal it, just repeal it. Uh, as you pointed out, the problems with that. He's tweeting again this morning, Peter. This is a Bill Press Show breaking news update. That's it, folks. We've got the breaking news. Donald Trump is tweeting about health care. Here's his first tweet from a couple minutes ago. He says, we were let down by all of the Democrats and a few Republicans. Most Republicans were loyal, terrific, and worked really hard. We will return. And then he says, as I have always said, let Obamacare fail and then come together and do a great health care plan. Stay tuned, which sort of reads as a threat, honestly. But he's, but what's that mean? He's yeah. really, it's just the one thing that, that really bu- bugs me is when he's so disingenuous about the idea that the Democrats let him down. Yeah. He purposely said, don't include the Democrats. And Paul Ryan said, don't include the Democrats. And We've Mc- got this. And Mitch McConnell yeah, said. Don't include the Democrats. I mean, yeah. so it's disingenuous. I mean, I, I have a lot of colleagues that I know are like, hey, listen, we'll, we'll work with them. Well, Chuck Schumer said it. I don't know how I many times. I was going to say, you're a senior senator. Yeah. Right, been out there right in front saying, we're ready. We're ready. It's, we've had so many of your colleagues, Democratic colleagues from the House, come in here and say, we're ready to sit down and, and talk about you know, where we go from here. Yeah, it's just, not, it's, just not, it's just not It's not. truthful the way that they're presenting it as though the Democrats aren't, are letting them down. 
we we listen. I want to. I know, but I won't speak for everybody. I'll speak for myself. Yeah, I came to Washington to try and get something done. That was my campaign theme. Swazi gets it done. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. you know, I got, got, so they're not really making it easy on me. So um, I want to work with people to try and solve these problems and try and make things better. I'm not. I'm not going to say, oh, they're all idiots. They don't know what they're talking. I say with Obamacare. I said it during my campaign. I say it still today. It's not. It's got problems. Yeah. We have to mend it, don't end it. Mend it, don't end it. And that's what we need with Obamacare. We need to fix it. Yeah. You know, I, I just I just didn't realize and, that. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say, and it seems to me that that's the, what the American people want. That's what the American people need. And, that's, that's, and they would welcome if Mitch McConnell would say, okay, let's take a different approach now. Let's sit down and talk together about and identify the problems with Obamacare, where we can fix it, and come together on a solution. So they can get 85 votes. One good thing that everybody should know is that uh, th- these are important facts. Of the, all the people in America, you know, there's 300-some-odd million people in America, about 160 million people get their insurance from their private employer. Mm-hmm. About 50 or 60 million get their insurance from Medicare, or Medicaid, I guess it is, uh, 50 million get it from Medicaid. Uh, about uh, uh, 30 million are uninsured. And it's about 18 million people, 6% about, that are in the pro- the individual market, which is where all the problems are. The individual markets where everybody's talking about the premiums are going yeah, through the yeah, roof and it's yeah. just out of control. These are the small businesses. Right. 6% of the yeah, population. Yeah. So, you, you can know, fix that. We can fix it. We got to fix it so that, you know, we don't see these crazy double digit increases in premiums and we have to look at health care costs overall we have to look at prescription drug costs overall we have to look at end of life care you know so many so much money spent in the last six months of people's lives we have to look at prevention you know the early cause of death is not lack of access early cause of death is smoking overeating and lack of exercise those are the biggest health mm-hmm. problems in america so we need to be talking about health care and what we need to do to make it work. But we need to be talking about long-term health care. My father passed away two weeks before my election. He's 95 years old. My mother's 93. Senior citizens and the need for long-term health care is a major crisis unfolding in America right now. And Medicaid, which is most of the money spent on nursing homes and long-term health care mm-hmm. and Medicaid, people don't realize it. They think it's only for uh, people, low-income persons and disabled persons. But it's really long-term nursing home care for seniors where most of the money spent is really not that great a system as far as it encourages you to get rid of your assets, you know, get, give them to your kids, then you have your kids deny to take care of you. It's like almost encouraging people to defraud the system. And nursing home care is not the right answer for everybody. The best yeah. answer is for people to age it in place at home with a home health care aid. So we've got to talk about this stuff and we're spending so much time yelling and screaming at each other and this whole partisan thing and we're not getting to these real issues. No, indeed. Uh, there's another issue that uh, that um, was like one of the top priorities for uh, Donald Trump that we heard, haven't heard much about. I was wondering if you see anything happening when it comes to infrastructure. That is that is the best thing we should be working on in the country. You know, even to, you bring up Chuck Schumer, the senior senator again. Yeah. He's that's the thing he said in the very beginning. We should be working on this first because we can get the votes right away. And the Problem Solvers Caucus, that's their that infrastructure and tax reform are their number one priorities. Right. Yeah, right. And, you know, I've got this whole big issue. Uh, just think about it, Congressman. I'm just sorry to interrupt. But that's okay. If, 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 if they put infrastructure number one on the agenda instead of health care, 
right? Chuck Schumer is absolutely right. It would have been and it would have been a huge win for Donald Trump. He'd look like a superstar right now. Exactly. He's getting things done, accomplishing yeah. the builder, the builder, yeah. building. Yeah, yeah. I'm building. Right. Look at me. Bob the builder. Don the builder. Don the builder. <laughs> I saw fire engines. I saw tractors from Caterpillar. I saw some incredible machinery. Make it right here. Build. Thomas the Train. So, you know, my whole big thing is in America, there are 105 million full-time jobs. Okay? There's 300 million people in America. You take out the senior citizens, take out the young people, take out people that are retired, take out the part-timers, take out stay-at-home parents, take out the disabled, unemployed. There's 105 million full-time jobs. Of those 105 million full-time jobs, 59 million people make less than $50,000 a year. Whoa. 86 million make less than $75,000 a year. So when they talk about the elites in Washington or in New York or in California, you know, this is the issue. People don't aren't making the wages. Yeah. And so if you want to put people to work, infrastructure, in addition to rebuilding our roads and bridges and sewers and water and trains and mass transit and ports and airports, you can put people to work in decent jobs where they're making a decent living to live the American dream. The American dream is not complicated. The American dream is very straightforward. I'll work hard and Mm -hmm. play by the rules, and in return I make enough money so that I can have a house, I can educate my kids, I can have health insurance, and I can retire without being scared. It's not complicated. And Democrats have screwed up, quite frankly, that the middle class does not feel that we've been talking to them about these issues. Uh, you know, I, like everybody else, I'm sure you, everybody, politicians, policymakers, economists, have been talking about it. you have to go to college, you have to go to college, you have to go to college, STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. And I agree with that. But 60% of Americans don't go to college. And we need to be talking about welders and mechanics and plumbers and electricians and carpenters and other skilled professions where you can make a decent living in this country. So we need to do workforce development uh, for infrastructure uh, and other jobs to put people to work so they can live a middle-class well, life. Is anybody building that message for the Democratic Party, do you believe? We're, I mean, ha- we had that conversation last night. I, 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 said, I, I wrote an op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal a couple months ago. I said we should have a platform plank to create $5,080,000 jobs. So you want to do corporate tax reform, you want to do this kind of reform, you want to do that reform, you want to do infrastructure, whatever you want to do. How are you going to create $5,080,000 jobs? I mean, that's yeah, that's a straightforward, sure. understandable thing, and every policy decision should be driven towards how are you going to increase those type of jobs in America. That's that's what people need when we talk about income inequality and you know people, if you get a $500 expense and you, you don't know how you're going to pay that expense... You know, you get a flat tire. What am I going to do? Yeah, yeah. You know, that's what people need. They need a job where they can make enough money, and we sh- we need to be talking about that again. Democrats need to be talking about that. You know, something else we had to be talking about, I guess, is uh, you, you mentioned the eighty thousand dollar figure, uh, and uh, I forget what percentage of Americans make seventy thousand dollars a year. Yeah, right? eighty six million. Eighty six million out of one hundred and five million make seventy five thousand or less. Okay, so. Uh, yesterday, right where you're sitting, former Congresswoman Donna Edwards, I don't know whether you've had a chance to meet her, from yeah. Maryland. Um, she was diagnosed last June with MS. Oh, I heard about this. I read that article. She told us yesterday that her medication 
$73,000 I read about that. A year. That's she wrote crazy. A, a letter yeah, to members of Congress I saw that. saying, hey, it's personal for me now. Right? I saw that Anthony Brown done. took her spot, right? Yeah. She was going to run right, for Senate. Right, exactly. Yeah, she, I read about that. $73,000 a year for her medication for MS. I mean, first of all, how many people could even, uh, she could afford because she's under Obamacare right now. Yeah. She said that if she were in Europe, she could get that same medication for $7,000 yeah. a year. That's one, I mean, you you're know, talking Trump, about fixing Obamacare. Trump, one thing that's lacking is anything to do with the prescription drug Trump costs. campaigned on this. This was his big issue. I, I liked it. When he said, I was like, hey, yeah. that's a good yeah. idea. Yeah. He said, yeah. we should be negotiating with the drug companies. We're the biggest purchaser. We yeah. should be negotiating yeah. a volume disc. I was like, that's a very sensible thing. Why was that not a central plank <laughs> of their health care reform? I don't understand that. I mean, I would I would support that in a heartbeat. That's the one thing I will say about Trump is he gave his voters and he gave Republican voters ideas to get behind. Whether or not he follows through on them, we're seeing is he a hasn't whole different story. Through. He's not going to follow He's through not on follow them. Through. But he gave ideas, and he and that was a good idea. These are, Trump struck a nerve on a couple things. Number one, all these people that have been left behind by globalization and technology. Okay, those these are the jobs I was talking about before. These people yeah. have been left yeah. behind. They're pissed off. Nobody's looking out for them. They're you know, the forgotten people. And yeah. he says, you're my people. My people, they love that. They ate it up. Okay, so he struck a nerve. When he fights the media and says, you know, the media's gone too far. and it's too, He's not wrong about it. He goes over, <laughs> he goes way overboard. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's dangerous, some of the things that he says. But there's a nerve that he's striking that people are like, wow, you're, you know, these guys are clearly this way and those guys are clearly that way. And you're going too far. So, but he goes. He takes it too far, as, you know, dangerously the way he takes it. But right. these are nerves that are real in people's lives, uh, and that example, of that prescription drug issue, is a real issue. Yeah. Let's negotiate. Let's negotiate with the drug companies. Say, listen, we'll give you all the business in return for you giving us a reduced price. Okay, yeah. I like that idea. Yeah, or at least be able to negotiate you know, that, that that for for a lower price, right? Yeah. Uh, which we, which we cannot. We're, Preventative drug or importing drugs from somewhere else, you can get them cheaper. Right? Why not? Right. Uh, so there's <laughs> so many issues that uh, that you're dealing with. I want to get on the political front just for a second. So you come from New York. Uh, we're looking at it's a long way away, but looking at 2020, some people already are, and there are two names from New York that keep popping up: Andrew Cuomo and Kirsten Gillibrand. <laughs> Well, Andrew Cuomo is Which definitely. Which one are you supporting? Andrew Cuomo <laughs> is definitely running for president of the United States of America. I think. Really? Yeah. Um, All the signs are. Yeah, I mean, he's just you know that's just his DNA. Yeah. And he's uh, he's a political genius. He's not an easy person to deal with. I mean, he's not you know one on one you know yeah. personally. Not he, warm and fuzzy. He's not no. warm and fuzzy. <laughs> uh, but he's he'll do five things over here, and then it'll come out over there, and you won't even know that he did it. And uh, he's very, very, uh, very good at working the system, so to speak. Uh, so he's really very politically bright. Yeah. And Kirsten, and, I, I, I can't imagine her running against Andrew Cuomo. I mean, there's just too much history there. Uh, she's certainly building a profile for herself. Uh, she's, you know, she's not in New York that much. She's not in Long Island that much, certainly. Mm-hmm. But she's very smart, uh, and she's, you know, I, I just co-sponsored a bill with her just recently to go after uh, uh, the Merchant Marine Academy and have them comply with Title IX because it's a sexual harassment issue. 
Uh, and they, they, that's been a big issue for her. That she's yeah, she's and she's expert on it, and uh, she's really built a profile on that and and several other issues. Uh, so she's building a name for herself and uh, is a very smart, talented person. Yeah, have you carved out um, any particular legislative goals that you want to take the lead on and 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 make your Kind of your specialty. Yeah, I, you know, my problem is that I'm interested in everything. Okay, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm you know, I, I was told once when I was a mayor and account executive, you know, different management experts. They said you have to focus on three things. I was like, right. okay, what are they? They said, no, you only have to focus on three things, <laughs> just three things. That's all you should focus on is three things. Uh, so I'm interested in so many different things. I'm very interested in this jobs issue that I was talking about before. Create five million eighty thousand dollar jobs. As That's a, a great one. Well, as a junior that, as yeah. a junior person, it's not easy for me to be like a leader on that type of issue. I'm more just trying to produce ideas right now and trying to get my colleagues to to listen to some of my ideas. Uh, I have legislation that I've sponsored related to Russia. You know, I've said that you know Russia. We're so focused on this partisan debate in and in Russia's influence in America in the 2016 elections that we're ignoring the fact that Russia is doing this all over the world. So I said, let's look at Europe and Eastern Europe and see what Russia is doing using corruption to try and take down democracies in Europe and Eastern Europe. Forget about America, forget about the partisan debate. Republicans, you wanna be tough on Russia the way you've historically been perceived as being tough on Russia? Support me on this bill to go after Russia in Europe and Eastern Europe and monitor what they're doing with buying up media companies, what they're doing with buying off politicians with bribery and money laundering, buying up energy companies and trying to influence elections in Europe, we all, everybody knows what happened in Ukraine and Crimea. Everybody saw what happened with the French elections. They tried to influence the elections, what they're doing with their pro- propaganda and trying to spread it around. We need to monitor that on a formal basis in America. What other countries are they in, in, involved in? All over Eastern, Estonia, Belarus, uh, you know, every, every, any, every, there, UK. I mean, they're, they're involved everywhere. You know, you talk about the oligarchs and Putin. They have a yeah. lot, of, they've made a lot of money off their government in, I would argue, a corrupt right. fashion. Yes. They're taking that money and they're out buying up companies, like media companies, then they influence the fake news and the propaganda. They're influencing the energy markets so that they have a tremendous power in those countries. And they're buying off politicians, good old-fashioned corruption and bribery. And they're trying to, you know, the battle in the world today, Tom Friedman, his book, Thank You for Being Late, wrote about the battle in the world today is not about America versus the Soviet Union. It's about stability versus instability. And 10 years ago, there were 35 million refugees in the world. Today, there's 65 million refugees. And there are people, countries, that are trying to promote instability, Russia, Iran, mm-hmm. others, that are trying to take these average and sub-average countries that are either corrupt or incompetent or lack resources, and they're falling apart. You know, you look at all of Africa, you know, the middle of Africa, and you look at northern Africa, you look at the Middle East, the pl- places are just destabilized. And there are people that are making a lot of money. It's not about an ideology. It's about making right. money. Yeah. It's like a big, giant, organized crime ring. Even the terrorists, you know, I don't even like calling terrorists a terrorist anymore. You know what they are? They're criminals. <laughs> they're murderers. They're drug dealers. They're kidnappers. They're extortionists. And it's like a big mob that is out saying, you know, hey, come up with a, come join us. We'll go blow those guys up over there. We'll go kill those people. We'll get, we'll get like a yeah. lot of money, and we'll get you some girls too. I mean, it's like it's, <laughs> right. it's like right. it's like a big organized crime ring, right? And there's people profiting off of it, right? So, I mean, what can the United States do about that? The State Department and the Treasury Department has 
the power and has the ability and the expertise, they just need to be done in an organized fashion to monitor the flow of funds, the money. It's le- you know, it's, it's less about tanks and troops and missiles today. Mm-hmm. It's about, it's, now it's about hybrid warfare, which is about propaganda and about money and about corruption and about cybersecurity. It's all these things that are kind of under the radar that we're not used to talking about on a regular basis. And, and, and Paul Ryan won't even bring up the uh, Senate bill, which increases sanctions on Russia that in the is, House. I wanted to carry that bill because I have in my district, in my district is one of those Russian compounds. Yeah. Matter of fact, oh. I have two Russian compounds. One of them was closed down. Yeah. And I wanted to be the one to carry that bill in the Congress. And they were like, well, you know, you're a freshman, you know, come on, you know, so. So I'm still working on doing just the Russian uh, compound piece because it is in my district. But that's absolutely what, so so what you were talking about is that the Senate voted 98 yeah. to 2 on a bipartisan basis right. that the president cannot undo this cannot undo the sanctions and it was tied in with Iran a bit more attractive uh, and the, the the Congress the House is talking about adding uh, the Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer put in a bill the other day to add uh, additional sanctions related to uh, what was it Afghanistan Afghanistan I think the other day um so well, this should be a bipartisan thing to keep make sure these sanctions stay in place and they're not undone right, right. by the White House. Yeah, and everybody's wondering, you know, why? What? What? what what's? What, why is Paul Ryan holding back on that? Well, if the White that, House wants him to hold it. You know, the, you know, I can yeah. understand an executive arguing, "Hey, don't take away my power to do the sanctions from my executive branch as part of my negotiations." That would be the normal course. I would understand that. The fact that the president is doing this when he has all this Russia stuff swirling around him makes it look a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. hokey. You know, uh, we, it, it, it's just a little unusual this relationship the president has with the with the Russians, and I don't know why he doesn't get so, out from under it. Uh, right. No, unusual to say the least. Yeah. Right. Congressman, it's good to have you where you are, and good to have you uh, here in the studio with us. Thanks so much for coming yeah, thank in. you, Bill. It's yeah. a great honor for me to be here with you. Uh, <laughs> we have a lot of good friends in common, too. So, uh, Congressman Tom Swazi, you can check him out. Follow him on uh, Twitter, at Rep Tom Swazi. Right? And Facebook, Rep Tom Swazi. I like my Facebook one. Oh, nice. Rep Facebook. Tom Swazi. Okay. That's, that's where I do my, my train talks and plane talks. Oh, cool. Nice. Uh, good luck keeping up with the crowd down there. And and he's uh, got a good radio voice, this guy. Hey, thanks, man. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I got a face for radio, We've kept too. him around for a little bit. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Good to see you. Come back and see us again. Thank you, sir. We're going to talk uh, jobs on health care coming up next on The Bill Press Show. We hope John McCain gets better very soon because we miss him. He's a crusty voice. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. All right, on a Tuesday, July 18, um, hello everybody, welcome back. The Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, where it's a whole new ball game today after uh, two more Republican senators yesterday came out and said, no way, no how, could we vote for the uh, latest version of the Senate uh, bill to repeal and replace Obamacare. Uh, That effort is now dead in the water. Everybody agrees. And the question is, where do we go from here? 
the Association for Community Affiliated Plans, uh, an organization has been out there opposed to the Senate bill, uh, and I guess today feeling that maybe uh, they could celebrate a little success. Meg Murray's the CEO of ACAP, is that how you pronounce it, uh, who's joining us in studio. Hi, Meg, nice to Hi, see you. Good morning. So were you surprised uh, that the, uh, with this latest development, two Republican senators yesterday joining Rand Paul and Susan Collins in opposition? We were surprised, uh, pleasantly surprised. Um, we had thought potentially the moderate senators would come out against it, but um, obviously the more conservative senators did for potentially other reasons. But um, but we uh, we're not going to let up our uh, that we're not taking the pedal, um, you know, foot off the the gas on this one though, because we are concerned about what will happen next. Right, um, and it it is interesting that there there was. Um, well, Susan Collins and Rand Paul sort of mm -hmm. illustrate that the the the, uh, the opposition was coming from two different directions mm -hmm. to the bill. Some felt it went too far, and some felt it didn't go far enough. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We were definitely on the side it went way too far. Um, we think cutting off that many people from Medicaid in particular um, is not good for our country. Well, isn't that kind of what brought it down? Is that uh, the cuts in Medicaid? No. And in, in fact, let's back up a second because some, what what would this bill in its latest form, have done to Medicaid? Because Mike Pence was out there saying, no, this is not going to affect anybody on Medicaid. And mm -hmm. Tom Price said the same thing last week. Right. What's the truth? Yeah, well, we certainly don't agree with that. Um, it really would do two things to Medicaid. One, it would roll back the enhanced federal financing for the expansion population. And maybe 11 million people have coverage because states got additional funds from the federal government. And so without that higher level, for instance, in California, they, they would get 90% federal, what we call federal match for the expansion population as opposed to 50%. That's really significant for California. And it's a highly unlikely that California would continue to cover the so-called expansion population if they were only getting paid 50%. So the, the expansion cost. population was under Obamacare, That right? was under Obamacare, right. So These that, are 11 million new, new people, people right. in Medicaid. Yeah, it used to be you had to be a mom, you know, basically a parent or a child or a disabled person to get Medicaid. And so there was a vast number of very low-income people that couldn't get Medicaid. I was Medicaid director in New Jersey, and I remember I got a call once from a state legislator whose brother had just had an accident. She wanted to know, could he get on Medicaid? The answer was no. He was a single male, poor, just, but not disabled enough. Um, so that, that always stuck in my mind as just an example um, mm -hmm. that uh, you had to be a certain type of person. But under Obamacare, we basically said low-income people, regardless of your mom, your dad, your single, your whatever, um, you have a right to um, Medicaid. Okay. So, the, so that's yeah, the first thing that's the we first do. That's the first thing, right? Yeah. So the bill, though, um, went further than that. And I really think in the end that will be uh, kind of the hubris of what they tried to do because then they said, well, let's try and also do these per capita caps. And that would put Medicaid kind of on a budget um, where the uh, federal government would say you have um, so many dollars per person regardless of the needs of the, the state or the individual. Um, so regardless of whether there's an opioid epidemic and all of a sudden you have a lot more costs or there's a Zika um, epidemic. Um, and But that was not really related to Obamacare at all. They did that because that's been a longstanding since I worked for OMB in the 90s and the Republicans were trying to do per capita caps then. So this has been a longstanding goal for the Republicans and they saw a vehicle moving 
Um, so they wanted to try and do the per capita caps. And many people argued that that was actually the more significant uh, piece of what they were trying to do this time, more almost than the rollback of the um, right. enhanced match. Uh, I need to turn that microphone towards you, I think, a little bit like that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and the effect of that would be, right, that people... Well, the effect of it would be then that states would have, as opposed to having the federal government match whatever they spent, um, that there would be limits on how much states could spend. And from a budget standpoint, you can kind of understand uh, why that uh, would resonate with some people. But the reality is that the, the growth rates that they set in the bill were just way too tight. Um, for our plans also live under somewhat similar idea of capitation. We get a certain amount of money, and then we have to live with that. But we have a federal um, statute that says we have to be our plans have to be paid on an actuarially sound basis. In other words, we have to be paid fairly. Yeah. Um, but there was no nothing similar for what the feds would pay the states, and so um, the concern was that those um, what they were paying the the growth rates that the uh, payment was based on were just way too low. So they were assuming that growth would be maybe three point seven percent a year. But we know in the past it's been closer to four point four or five percent. What? How many people are on Medicaid? There's about 70 million people today. Is that, are there more people on Medicaid than Medicare or? Mm, I think today know? there's more people on Medicaid, yeah. Medicaid. Yeah. So Medicaid is Medicare. like the number one healthcare plan in the country. Uh, it's a single plan, correct. I mean, more people are on employer-sponsored plan, but obviously there's lots of employers. Right. Uh, and it's interesting. The New York Times has a piece about this this morning. Um, this pro well, this program has been around Medicaid for since the year I was born. It's since it just celebrated its, its 50th birthday two years ago. All right, so fi it's been around 50 years, mm -hmm. and what Mitch McConnell and the others are doing is in in effect gutting this program right without one public hearing, uh, any chance for organizations like yours or others to come in front of mm -hmm. members of the Senate and 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 explain why you think this is a bad idea. Right. Yes, we were never asked to testify, obviously, because there was no hearing. Right. Or people who may be on Medicaid and never having a chance to uh, make the case about why it's important to them and to their families mm -hmm. and what would imp what the impact would be if they were not able to have uh, uh, health care coverage. Uh, n none of that, n that opportunity. So it, it, didn't they kind of miss one important lesson, which is, true with Social Security, true with Medicare, and true with Medicaid, that once these programs are in place, it's hard to get rid of them. Yeah, but a lot of people depend on them, and we saw very compelling stories about what what Medicaid is, is meant to people. Um, most people, most adults who are on Medicaid are actually working, and I think that that's one of the things that's become more, people learn that more, but 80% of the people who got Medicaid through the expansion are working people. Um, when you look at the whole adult population, it's more like 60% are people are working. And the ones that aren't working are either disabled themselves or um, taking care of a child or going to school. So the vast majority of people, and actually Medicaid allows people to work. There was a wonderful study that looked at this in Ohio and asked people who had newly gotten Medicaid, um, 50, and 50% of them said it was having Medicaid that allowed them to work. And there was an example in the survey of a woman who had a hernia, and she wasn't able to work because she was in such pain from the hernia. But once she got Medicaid, she was able to get it fixed, and now she's employed. 
Right. And when you look at the people who are unemployed on Medicaid, 75% of them say it, will, it helps them to look for work. What? So Medicaid, unlike Medicare, you have to be 62, 65? Five. 65. Mm-hmm. Medicaid could be any age? Sure. In fact, um, almost half of all births are paid for by Medicaid. Wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. No. No kidding. Right. So any age, it just depends on... Your income. Your income. Yeah. In the, yes, in those states that have chosen to do the expansion. Right. In states like Texas, um, you have to there be a child or a parent of a child. And I forget the amount of the income, but it's something around... If your income is anywhere over 20% of the federal poverty level, which is maybe $6,000, you don't it's a, you don't qualify for Medicaid. Right. So now that this uh, bill has failed, mm-hmm. um, what's your plan B? Well, we have all along um, said that we want to work with on a bipartisan basis with both Republicans and Democrats. And there's really two issues going on with the bill. One is related to Medicaid and one is with the marketplaces. Um, on Medicaid, we um, believe that there can be changes made to make the pro- program more efficient, although I have to say that also right now its growth rate is less than Medicare and less than in- other insurance, um, and its costs are less. So it's already pretty darn efficient, but um, we know that more could be done. Um, one of our solutions, because we're Medicaid managed care plans, is that we think more people could benefit from being put into managed care, especially for long-term care services, and lots and lots of states are doing that. Um, so we certainly um, support making it easier for states to use Medicaid managed care to improve quality and control costs. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd also like to see that just like with Medicare and employer-sponsored insurance, that once you get Medicaid, you're on for 12 months. Um, there's a lot of people that lose their Medicaid because of administrative um, issues where they're actually still eligible for Medicaid, but they lose it, and they don't find it out till they go to the pharmacy to fill their medications. And realize, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm not eligible right now, or I'm not on the program, even though I'm yeah. eligible. Um, so on Medicaid, we think that there are changes that can be made to make continue to make it even more efficient. Um, on the marketplaces, obviously, there's a lot of issues with affordability that need to be addressed. I, I don't understand that. Uh, on the marketplaces, you're talking about Obamacare. Obamacare. When I say marketplaces, I mean Obamacare. Right. Yeah. So that premiums are too high. It. it um, certainly, the premiums are too high. Um, the deductibles, obviously, are very high. And for people that don't get subsidies, um, obviously, they, they feel that very acutely. And so I think that it's a good. Sh- this is an opportunity for us to s- take a step back and say, what can we do on a bipartisan basis? Um, our plans do support increasing the age band from 3 to 1 to 5 to 1. It means that right now, a younger person, um, or I should say an older person, can only pay three times as much as a yeah. younger person. Um, the result of that is it's better for older people, but for the young people that you actually want in the risk pool, it makes it very expensive for them. So we support moving to five to one, um, which will make it more expensive um, for the um, older people, um, but less expensive for young people. Um, but of course, we also support subsidies. So if you're a low-income person who's older, you're not going to be that impacted because of the subsidies. What about the, the what I find interesting about this whole debate is well, one of the factors is that the healthcare community, if you will, nurses, doctors, hospitals, clinics across the board, all opposed the Senate, the Senate bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them were saying uh, that this would have a horrific impact in terms of some of them have to just shut down. Mm-hmm. 
or uh, and I was, I was thinking about all the jobs that would be lost mm-hmm. in, in 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 such a move because I mean healthcare it has been sort of the fastest job mm-hmm. showing the fastest job growth I think of any sector of the economy mm-hmm. ever since the passage of the Affordable Care Act. Have you taken a look at that impact on jobs? Yes. In fact, uh, we looked at Ohio. Uh, obviously, Senator Portman is an important player in this whole thing. And in his state, by 2026, they could leave, lose close to 100,000 jobs. And it's not just in the healthcare sector. It's in other sectors, too, because obviously people who are in the healthcare sector, when they're employed, they're also buying houses and going out to eat. So he, his state could lose 100,000 jobs as a result of the, the Senate bill. Across the board, not just healthcare-related jobs. Not just healthcare. Yeah. In fact, I think about half of them are in healthcare and half are not. Right. Uh, maybe that's one of the reasons why John Kasich was has been so strong uh, and, and yeah. outspoken in, in yeah. his opposition. Right. Of course, as, as you know, his state has also been really hit by the opioid ep- epidemic, and in some ways, that has really crystallized the importance of Medicaid because you have this terrible epidemic, um, certainly stronger in some states than others. And almost half of the medication-assisted treatment for addiction is paid for by Medicaid. Um, it's probably even higher in Ohio. Um, so to roll back that um, expansion, what are those people going to do? They're, they, they're not going to be able to get the medication-assisted treatment. They're not going to be able to get rehab. They're not going to be able to get the clinical services that they need. So um, obviously John Kasich has... Um, you know, looked at the needs of his state and, and spoken out strongly in support of Medicaid. And not the only Republican uh, governor to do so, no. but I know mm-hmm. this this last weekend with um, the governor's meeting in uh, Providence, Rhode mm-hmm. Island, uh, after um, Tom Pence and, uh, uh, no, it was, uh, I'm sorry, Mike Pence and the woman in charge of... Seema Verma. Seema Verma, uh-huh. right. Uh, briefed the governor's... Mm-hmm. Uh, that John Kasich, I don't even think Kasich was there, but they said some things about Ohio, mm-hmm. and Kasich came up, put out a statement saying, hell, absolutely, everything they said was wrong. Right? Yeah, it had to do with a waiting list issue. but That's yeah, right. There are 100,000 people who are right. 60,000 who couldn't get coverage in, in Ohio, and Kasich came out and said, no, you're dead wrong. Right. And so he's been very, very strongly he's outspoken been. against this legislation. Right, and there was a study released at the NGA meeting that showed in Ohio um, that they would lose 16% of their uh, Medicaid funding um, in the, just a couple of years if the Senate bill passed. So again, you know, he's really looking out for his state. Yeah, uh, and those, jo- those job losses, I guess, I don't know whether you've had a chance to look at every state, but... It's not just Ohio where there would be jobs lost. No, I think across the country it was almost two million lives would be lo- uh, two million um, jobs would be lost. Again, both healthcare and non-health care. I thought Donald Trump was about creating new jobs. I thought so, jobs right? It was his whole thing. And, and protecting jobs, not not <laughs> shutting jobs down, right, or closing down jobs uh, because of because of this legislation. So I know it's it's early because this just happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. But what is the sense that? Um, um, that you're more hopeful now that uh, there'll, there'll be some more reasonable solution to maybe fixing Obamacare rather than replacing it? I hope so, but I'm an optimist. Um, but I do hope that uh, I can't imagine they're going to get a repeal-only bill through the Senate. Um, so I'm hoping at that point they'll stop. They'll take a few moments to breathe and realize that there are changes that be, need to be made in Obamacare. Um, and come back and look at funding the cost-sharing reductions, changing the age bands, um, potentially uh, reinstituting a reinsurance um, type of mechanism, which will 
make the premiums cheaper for, for everyone. Um, really, there's no need to touch Medicaid. Um, there never was a need in the beginning. And um, as I said, I think that was hubris to, to do that um, and is ultimately what sunk it because it's really Medicaid. There's 70 million people on the Medicaid program. There's 11 million people on Obamacare. Um, so by going after the 70 million, they really unleashed a tiger um, in terms of people's um, well, advocating well, yeah. for the program. Well, they have to realize it now. And as we talked at the very top of the show, um, the, 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 the whole issue tenor has changed um, overnight, right? Whereas yesterday we were, yesterday we were talking about there's going to be a delay till John McCain gets come, can get back, and uh, um, he hadn't promised to vote for the bill, but at least potentially he'd mm-hmm. be a vote. So God, we can't schedule anything. Um, I, I saw someone tweeted this morning that you think Mitch McConnell would have delayed the vote if a Democratic senator had needed surgery. Um, no, we know the answer to that. I think I know the answer to that. Yeah. Uh, would he have uh, delayed the vote if Susan Collins had needed surgery? I think, so. I think we know the answer to that too. But there was a possibility that that John McCain, I think, a probability that John McCain would have voted for it. So that yesterday, all we're talking about is how long John McCain's going to be out before he comes back. Today, we're talking about a whole new plan. A whole, whole new, new plan. So yeah. as I said, I'm an optimist, so I hope that this leads to something good and that we come back on a bipartisan basis and can make the changes we need to Obamacare and leave Medicaid alone. Yeah. Um, or there's, there's changes you can make around the margins that I, I've suggested to make it more efficient, but it's a very efficient program right now. There's actually a lot of flexibility in the program right now. Um, uh, it can be tweaked and it can be improved, but it certainly does not need the wholesale changes that they were proposing. Um, just to show you again how uh, things have changed, Jamie, if we can go back to our, uh, not the way, way, way back machine, but just in the last few days, uh, the confidence that was that was being uh, broadcast by the leaders of, this, uh, of the uh, administration, uh, starting with the president himself. This is just uh, maybe three weeks ago, June 28th. Big surprise coming on healthcare. Healthcare is working along very well. We could have a big surprise with a great healthcare package. So now they're happy. What do you mean by big surprise, sir? I think you're going to have a great, great surprise. It's going to be great. Yeah. Oh, the big surprise came all right. It was not the surprise that he was uh, expecting. Uh, The very next day, June 29, Paul Ryan weighs in. Yeah, we're going to get this done. I do think that they're going to persevere through this because we have a promise to keep. And the promise we made is we would repeal and replace this health care law. Yeah, indeed. Uh, on June, uh, Saturday, July 15, it was Mike Pence echoing the same, same confidence. President Trump and I are confident when the time comes as early as next week that Republicans and Senate are going to come together and they're going to move this bill forward. Yes, indeed. And yesterday, getting the same talking points uh, at the White House briefing, off camera, uh, Sean Spicer saying, yeah, yeah, we're going to get it done. As soon as Senator McCain can travel back and Senator McConnell uh, feels it's appropriate, he'll schedule that vote. We feel very confident about where we are now, and we look forward to uh, getting that bill on the president's desk and getting it signed. Well, that was yesterday. <laughs> Wouldn't say the same thing today. It is amazing how, how, fast, this, how fast this changes. Peter and I were talking earlier you know, we have a uh, conference call about 5.30 in the afternoon, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, just to sort of put together every day this next show. 
and almost every single day for the last I don't know a couple of months. Yeah. Whatever the whatever the scene is at five o'clock, it's changed it's by six o'clock. <laughs> totally different. You know, I, I, I'm thinking about the tweets that Trump sent out earlier today. Where yeah, first of all, we, he blames should... he blames the Democrats. He says that we were let down by the Democrats, but. Uh, I think it's a second tweet that's a little more telling where he says, as I have always said, let Obamacare fail and then come together to do a great health care plan, which is not what he has always said. I mean, he's been fairly consistent about not doing that. You know what I mean? So, I mean, he just continues to rewrite things to fit his own narrative. Well, the other thing is the idea and then the Congressman Swazi in the last half hour made this point of blaming the Democrats for this failure. The Democrats had nothing to do with this failure because, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, you've been part of the uh, of the debate there on the Hill, because the Democrats, Mitch McConnell excluded the Democrats from the debate. Uh, he, he wanted to do this with Republican votes only. Um, it, the mathematics, they, they, they're doing it through reconciliation. The mathematics is they would only need 51 votes. They have 52 Republican votes. So he basically told the Democrats just, Stay out of it. We don't want you. We don't need you. And we're not even going to talk to you, get your ideas, give you a chance to amend it, have any hearings at all. Correct? I mean, um, certainly that that is correct, although we hope now that things will change and maybe they'll realize that it's much better when it's a bipartisan bill. And, you know, I, yeah, some... I would agree. I just think the chances of that, uh, the chances of that are, are, are slim, right? And, and the, I mean, what would be the impact be if they the Republicans choose to do what Donald Trump has suggested and that Mitch McConnell suggested. It's just repeal with no replace. I think it was CBO that said that it would result in 32 million people losing their health insurance. So that's pretty significant. 32 instead of 23 or 22 million. 30, yeah, 32 million. So it's pretty significant. It would roll back the um, expansion completely, obviously get rid of all the taxes um, and get rid of the, um, the subsidies. And that means that uh, Republicans would go forth to the American people uh, in next year and say, okay, we got rid of Obamacare. No, we didn't replace it with anything, right? We didn't give you anything else. We just took away the health care that you've got. Which is why I think it'll be hard to th- for them to do it because we've, all, we've seen how hard it is to replace. Yeah. Um, so abs- I think cooler heads will prevail. Absolutely. Yeah. Meg Murray, thanks for stopping by. Right. Yeah. With the Association for Community Affiliated Plans, and you can follow them online at communityplans.net. And I just wanted to say that we have a Medicaid is Us campaign, medicaidisus.org. If you nice. go there, you can send an email to your congressman and right. tell them what you Medicaid think. Medicaidisus.org. Check it out. Check it out. And have a good this day, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. This is the Bill Press Show.